Heavenly Father, this morning it's uh, been a worshipful time in this space, but now, God, we open our hearts so that you might speak to us and nudge us and push us and even uh, give us a clearer picture of who you are. So do that now. That is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. When was the last time that you've gone to see the optometrist? Do you even remember? Yeah. Some of you are very regular. You know what your insurance allows one time a year, and you get $500 to spend on whatever it is, and you go and you get the most of it. Um, I don't actually remember how long it's been since I've been to the optometrist, probably because I got LASIK many years ago, and so I kind of, kind of feel like I'm a boss and I don't have to go. How, can, can they even fine-tune these babies anymore? I don't think so. I've had lasers in here, okay? The last time that I remember going was four, five, six years ago in uh, Marietta, Georgia, and the, the optometrist was one of my church members, a golfing buddy of mine, Dr. Ron Becker. And I set up the appointment, went in there, and uh, he wasn't ready for me. And so I did what we all do, whether we need glasses or not. We, we look along the wall at all the different frames, and we imagine them on us, or we try them on. It's kind of embarrassing, but we do it anyway. Finally, Dr. Becker was ready to see me. And so I went back to his office, and he set me down in this chair with all these contraptions hanging off to the sides. You, you know the ones I'm talking about. We did a little chit chat and then he began my exam. And he gave me one of those uh, little six or eight inch paddles that you cover your eye with. And he asked me to read this chart. Here it is on the screen for you. You've seen this before, right? And you start at the top and you work down and they get smaller and smaller as the doctor evaluates how good your eyes are. He wants to see how, how good it is. Now, some of you have fantastic eyes where you can read the bottom line, no problem, even in, in a doctor's office. I know you can see it here, it's kind of large here. Maybe not in the balcony, I don't know. Some of you have terrible eyesight, like really bad. And so you don't need this eye chart, you need this next one. <laughs> if you can't get the X in the box, you definitely need glasses. So what happened in my exam, and it happens in most exams, is that the doctor, after he does this eye chart, he swings one of those contraptions around in front of your face. This is where it gets very uncomfortable because the doctor gets really close to you. You can smell him. He can smell you. You can feel the air coming out of his nostrils on your arms. It's gross. You know what I mean? You try not to think about it. I'm, I'm sorry that you're gross right now. Just wait. There's more in this sermon. Just hang on. So he starts to put this contraption, he dials in a prescription that he thinks is the right one, and then he begins to dial it in even more by doing this. This one or this one? One or two? Three or four? Over and over and over and over again. And, and finally he gets it so fine-tuned that you're just lying now. They look all the same. Am I right? <laughs> They're all the same at this point. No matter your eyesight, um, we all have seen things that are blurry. And looking through blurry lenses is very confusing and it's hard to see. And when it comes to a faith life, looking into the future, things often get blurry. Making life decisions. Um, I'm, I was thinking of Monterey Bay Academy students or FLA students, any seniors, as you're ready to go to this next step in life, who's going to be your roommate? What college are you going to go to? Adults, what's my next job? Should we have another baby? All these questions, and you, you wonder into the future and think, what does it look like? And you, sometimes you get a sense from God that he wants this from you, but then also sometimes it gets awfully blurry. 
And when we talk about our faith life and understanding who God is and what he's really like, oftentimes he's very blurry too, depending on the ebb and flow of life, the ups and downs, you either feel close to him or far from him. He either looks clear to you or he is blurry to you. The author of Hebrews, he puts it like this in Hebrews chapter 11. He says, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. And your faith journey is trusting in an invisible person that you've never seen, that you've never really heard, and you blindly follow and obey. And sometimes it gets difficult, really difficult. Sometimes it's a struggle, especially when God is blurry and when he's not very clear. And so what do you do when he's not clear? What do you do when he becomes blurry, when the future is vague and bleak? Does your faith waver? Or do you go back to him over and over and over again until you have clarity from him? This morning, we're going to look at a story that I hope challenges your faith and pushes it forward. And it's in the book of Mark, Mark chapter 8. And if you have your Bible, I invite you to turn there. And if you didn't bring a Bible, there's a blue book in front of you and you can follow along on page 714. You'll read the same words that I'm reading. And as you're looking that up, I'll give you just a a little context. Jesus' ministry in in Galilee has just begun. He's done a few pretty crazy things like feeding 5,000 people. Um, He's cast out some demons from some guys that were living in a cemetery. Uh, He's done some pretty cool miracles, and people are starting to know who he is. At one point, he sends the disciples in a boat across the lake at at night, and he stays, and he he prays to his father. And and during their trip across the sea, the the lake, the Sea of Galilee, the storm kind of whips up a little bit, and they're struggling. In fact, they have their oars out, and they're rowing across the lake. And Jesus decides to take a shortcut to meet up with them, and so he walks on the water to go see them. And as they're rowing, they look out across the water, and they see this ghost-like figure, and they wonder who it is. It's blurry. They can't tell who he is. They're terrified. And as Jesus senses their terror, he says, take courage, it is I. He comes onto the boat, the storm calms down, it moves on. Jesus' ministry continues to take off, as people are beginning to realize that there's something special about him. They're realizing that there's something powerful in him. And it's in the middle of the hustle and bustle of ministry that Mark records this little story in his book. Mark chapter 8, verse 22. If you're there, say amen. All right, the right side's a little, little easier. You got it better, guys. Good job. Well done. Come on, guys, step it up a little bit. All right, Mark chapter 8, verse 22 says this. Jesus and the disciples came to Bethsaida, and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. When he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, do you see anything? He looked up and he said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened, his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. It's a short little story, three or four verses that you could skim right across if you just thought, oh, this is another one of Jesus' miracles. Um, We've seen lots of those. It's just a small one, yet I feel like this story has more power in it than you realize. 
In fact, as I read this story, it speaks to my faith journey, and it, and it almost explains any kind of distrust or, or unbelief that I might have. And, and this morning, there's just three simple points that I think speak to my heart and hopefully yours too in this story. And the first one is this one. We'll put it on the screen for you. Sometimes it takes someone else's faith to get you to Jesus. Very first sentence there. They came to Bethsaida and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. Begged Jesus to touch him. Now we don't know who these people were, but I'll tell you what, it sure doesn't make me feel like the blind man was searching out Jesus. I don't think that the blind man was asking people, can you help me get to him? I don't feel like he was feeling his way down the streets looking for Jesus. In fact, I don't know if he even believed in Jesus or if he had any kind of faith in him. In fact, I wonder if it's just the opposite. If he had zero faith in him, he might have heard about him, but he didn't believe him. And so why go to this man if there's not a chance that he can do anything about it? And so these people, we don't even know who they are. They help him get to Jesus. Was it his brothers, sisters, mother, father? It doesn't matter, but they get him to Jesus. It reminds me of the story of the friends at Peter's house. Jesus is there in Peter's house in Capernaum, just down the road from Bethsaida. He's preaching. The house is packed full. They can't get anyone else in. And these friends grab a crippled man. They take him to the top of the house, open up the roof of the house, and lower this man in front of Jesus. And the Bible says that when Jesus saw their faith, he healed them. That's the same in this story. These people, whoever they are, they bring this blind man to Jesus Whoever it was, they cared about him so much that they begged Jesus to do something about him. That's third person begging. That's pleading on behalf of somebody else. That's using your faith in place of someone else's unbelief to move God's heart. When is the last time you begged Jesus for someone else? When's the last time you got on your knees And you prayed for mercy of God in the life of someone else that doesn't have belief. I mean, this passage is powerful to me because it it pushes me to think about the people in my life that are struggling in their walk with Jesus. And what is my role in that? Just yesterday, yesterday morning before 10 a.m., I got a text message from someone and it broke my heart. And I'm going to share the story with you this morning so it can break yours too. About three months ago... um, a, a guy, his name's Kevin, Kevin Christensen. He came to our church here. Awesome guy. He works for the Hope Channel. He's been working on a bunch of different projects. I met him in the lobby and we talked for a while and he shared about one of the projects that he's working on. It's a, a movie called The Hopeful. Maybe some of you have heard about it. Here's a picture of it right here. This is uh, what it looks like. There it is, The Hopeful. I, I, I'll tell you when it's coming out. You won't be surprised, though. It's coming out October 22, 2023. Does that ring a bell for you all? It's the story of Adventism and where it came from. So Kevin, he uh, met him in here in the lobby, and he texted me not too long after that, and he said, hey, Matt, um, we've got this movie called The Hopeful, and, and we're having a pre-screening of it right in Orlando, and we'd love for it if you want to go see it. And I said, I'd love to. And so on a rainy Wednesday afternoon, or, or I guess it was morning, about 10 a.m., I headed over to the Altamont Springs Mall, right there, the theater in there, went inside and watched the film. Afterwards, Kevin said, Matt, there's someone I want you to meet. And, and I, as I was walking down the hallway, there was Kevin and this older lady, 
And I said, hey, Kevin, what's up? And he said, meet this lady. This is my friend. Let me tell you how I met her. On the way down from Chattanooga, down to Orlando on that hour and a half flight, whatever it is, Kevin, he gets, gets on the plane and he just wants to zone out and not talk to anyone. And so he puts his noise-canceling headphones on, but the woman sitting next to him wanted to chat. You know those people, right? Some of you are those people, aren't you? So she's talking and he's a nice guy and he takes his headphones off and, and he starts talking with her and, and they, they talk about uh, religion and she was raised Baptist, although her mom was raised Seventh-day Adventist. And as, and as he's talking to her, he thinks, what a coincidence. He says, you've got to come to see this pre-screening of this movie called The Hopeful. So she shows up. So there we are in the hallway of this theater and Kevin introduces me to this beautiful woman. I get her cell phone number, she gets mine. We continue texting back and forth. Well, not too long ago, just a couple of Fridays ago, we set up an appointment to meet. And so she and I met in my office and she told me her whole life story, the highs, the lows, the good times, the hard times, the, the ebbs and flows of life. She cries there on my couch with the pain that she's experienced in life. In the last couple of years, she's experienced extreme loss. And as she wept there, I told her the beauty of the story of the Bible, of the great controversy, that pain doesn't come from Jesus. It doesn't come from God. It comes from the devil, the one that hates God and will do anything to hurt God, including hurting the ones that God loves the most. And as she heard that, her, her heart had hope in it. I told her, I said, you know, I've got a special invitation for you. Because tomorrow, this is a few weeks ago, tomorrow our church is doing something special. It's a life journey through the, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus called Risen. I've got 10 golden tickets and I'd like to give you one of them that allows you to go to any show you'd like. She said, I'd like to come to that. So she shows up, she sits right over here, uh, right next to one of our elders, and she walks through the whole Risen experience. It was fantastic. She texted me that night. She said, Pastor Matt, that was one of the most amazing things I have ever experienced. We kept chatting yesterday morning. Here's the text message. She says, good morning. I just wanted to let you know that I received some news, cancer related, that has put me in a downward spiral. So I will be cutting off any communication and my faith is gone. In a time where she needs more faith than any other time in her life. Her faith is broken and gone. So what do we do about it? What do I do about it? I do whatever it takes to get her to Jesus. If it's praying for her, if it's reaching out, spamming her, just loving on her through text message, even if she doesn't respond. Uh, just this morning, Lee Leewag, one of our awesome choir members, she also leads the quilt ministry. She came up to me after first service. She said, Pastor Matt, we've got to send her a prayer quilt. You may not know this, but our quilt ministry has these quilts that we send all over the globe. And, and all the little knots that hold it together is a prayer knot. You pray and you tie a knot. She said, we've got to do this for something. We've got to do this for this lady. Get her address. We're going to try and do that. Whatever it takes to get her to Jesus. Sometimes it takes someone else's faith to get you to Jesus. But the story continues as we see Jesus respond to the people that are begging him to do something about it. Jesus leads this man and the little group outside the village. He probably doesn't want the commotion of, of a miracle happening right in Bethsaida. So he takes them out just a little ways away and he does something amazing. Here's point number two. We'll put it on the screen for you. It's simply this, that when Jesus touches you, 
your life begins to change. When you have contact with the Savior, you're never the same again. And I really wish that I could have been there in this part of the story because I'm a very visual person. And so when the Bible describes something in detail, I can see it. Now, it may not be correct, but I can see it. See, here's what the Bible says. It says this, verse 23, says he took the blind man by the hand, led him outside the village. When he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, do you see something? Now, this gets a little gross. I warned you already. And I don't know if this is really what happened, but the Bible says that Jesus spit into the man's face. And so in my mind, I see Jesus rearing back and hawking a dripping loogie into this guy's eyes. That's what the Bible says. It's right there. And I wonder why he had to do that. That's gross. Come on, Jesus. I mean, he could have just said the words, be healed. He could have just touched the man and he would have had his eyesight. So why does he have to use his own spit? That's gross. And I wonder, was there something wrong with the man's eyes that needed liquid? Do you think that he had the crustiness of leaking eye gunk that, had washed, that needed to be washed away in order for his sight to be restored? Were his eyes sealed shut with hardened eyelids from the caked on tears from his years of crying about this? Did Jesus need to wash away the past in order for him to see the future? And if Jesus needed liquid, why wouldn't he just walk steps down to the Sea of Galilee and just get some water or ask for a cup of water from somebody? Why wouldn't he just ask for water? See, I believe this whole miracle has little to do with eyesight and a whole lot to do with a man's faith in the power of Jesus. And Jesus, someone that cares more for us than anybody else, he uses part of his own body, his own saliva, to change this man's life forever. See, there's not, a, there's not a boy in here that has not experienced this in a very real way. As a little boy, even girls too, little boy, little girl, you're getting ready for school. Your parents are yelling at you to hurry up. You've, you've only found one shoe so far, yet they're in the car honking the horn already. You, you find the other shoe, but it's got a knot in it. And so you just try to stuff your foot in there without untying it. You've, we've all been there, right? You're hurrying. You, you, you run past your mom, somebody that may love you more than anyone else on the planet, and she notices something about you. You have peanut butter from your peanut butter on your waffle that's still on your cheek. And so your mom, like any good mom, whips out her thumb like a precision cleaning instrument. You know what I'm, you know what I'm talking about. She gets some of that saliva, part of her own being, and she starts a scrubbing to get that clean. And I see Jesus doing the same thing as he gets some of his very own saliva, a gift from someone that loves this blind man more than he'll ever realize. And he moistens that crusty eyelid and he washes away the caked on dirt and tears as he separates his eyelids. Jesus begins to massage his eyeballs, those scaly eyeballs of the blind man until they're wet and moving freely. And I wonder if Jesus chose to use his own saliva as a tool to change this man's eyesight, to really show his deep love for a man that was troubled. It had to have been humbling for this man too, to have someone else's spit being worked into his face. And I wonder, 
if Jesus did this to break down the man's heart a bit so that he would be a bit more humble. See, I know this part of the story, it speaks to me, and I know it speaks to many of you too. Those of you that have experienced pain in your faith journey, that have experienced enough hurt that you live life through the lens of keeping people at a distance. You don't trust, you're always scared, and I wonder, do you need to humble yourself when it comes to God to allow him to actually touch you instead of holding him at arm's length? Do you struggle with trusting God and so you give the Savior a stiff arm to keep yourself protected? Do you need to experience his love like unconditional love that comes from a mom as he touches your heart, your hardened heart, so that you can trust him? Do you need to be open so that he can heal you? See, here's where the story gets a little more confusing because Jesus, the ultimate optometrist, he takes this man and he's, he's already worked the saliva in and like any good optometrist, he says this, can you see number one or number two? Number three or number four? Is this one better or is that one better? He says, hey, can you see now? And the man, he says these words, he says, I see people, they look like trees walking around. Now for you, those of you that just uh, want to read the Bible and feel good about it, you say, yeah, people look like trees. I mean, we're tall, we kind of sway back and forth, but I would say that's poor vision. Ain't nobody in here looks like a tree, you know? And so, so this guy says, they look like trees. That's not 2020 vision to me. That's blurry vision. People don't look like trees. The guy's got blurry vision. So what happened? Do you think Jesus didn't have the power to heal him the first time? Why wouldn't he just say the words and it's all there? Did he have to take a second try at it? Was he kind of like, well, well, bud, <laughs> I've fixed your astigmatism, but you're always going to need contacts and readers. I don't think that's Jesus. He's the all-powerful God of the universe. Why didn't he just fix it the first time? See, here's what I think, and it brings us to our third point. We'll put it on the screen for you. It's simply this. Jesus never rushes your faith journey, but he always goes at your pace. Are you with me? Jesus never rushes your faith journey. He always goes at your pace. Of course, Jesus was powerful enough to heal him instantly like that. But I believe that Jesus was way more concerned with the man's heart and his faith journey than he was his eyesight. And Jesus knew that in order for his faith to grow, he had to take one step at a time, one baby step at a time. And I wish I was there because can you imagine the excitement of this man as the, his eyelids are now open and he sees shapes moving around and he thinks, what is this? What am I seeing? He begins to try and put the voices of people that he's always heard with faces that he's never seen. And he begins to experience sight, even if it's blurry sight, and he begins to think in his heart, maybe, just maybe, this guy can really do it. Maybe he is the guy that everyone says he is. Maybe I can have full sight. Again, he's starting to realize there's a transformation that's happening in his sight and in his heart, too. He's beginning to believe that Jesus truly is the Savior. He replies to Jesus. He says, yeah, I can see, but it's a little fuzzy. And verse 25 says, once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened, his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. It's after Jesus touches his eyes the second time that he receives full, full sight. And it's through the slow process of developing sight that this blind man's faith grew too. This story speaks to me today. It's a small story, but there's power in it, I'll tell you that. 
It speaks to those of you that are struggling and those that have full faith too. It seems to me that God doesn't ever pressure us to believe. He just gives us opportunities to believe over and over again. He'll have others work on your life to bring you closer to him. He'll even touch you if he has to in order for you to know that he's real. He'll even work with you in little ways, baby steps to get you there. And as we slowly, step by step, begin to see who he really is, then our faith and our trust will grow in the God of the universe. I recently met someone in the most unusual way. Her name is Tiffany. I got in trouble in first service because I didn't say that I was going to say her name, and then I said it, and she was watching online. Now I'm in trouble. It's okay. We're fine. I met her in a very unusual way. She grew up Catholic, and uh, she's spent a lot of time in the church, but it's been a long time since she's been connected to spiritual things or church things. And as she, as so often does, the Holy Spirit was working on her heart and she said, I feel like I need to grow with Jesus. And so she talks with her husband who's agnostic, which means he just doesn't know if there is a God or not. Not that he's opposed to it, not that he's for it, he just doesn't know. Then as she shares with her husband, he says, well, why don't you just go online and find somebody that you can connect with, somebody that speaks to you. Well, guess what? She found Forest Lake Church and she watches every single week. In fact, she might be watching right now. So uh, camera guys, can you, I don't know what camera you're using, but can you zoom out? I think we should say hello to Tiffany, don't you think so? So um, I don't know where the camera is, we'll wave and we'll say hello Tiffany on three, ready? One, two, three. Hello Tiffany. We're all looking around like which, which camera is it? She lives in Michigan, a place that I don't ever need to go again. She worships with our church every single week. In, in fact, this is a, a picture from two weeks ago. This is from her living room, and you know that place. That's right here, right here. She watches every single week. So uh, a couple of months ago, she emailed me, and she said, Hey, Pastor Matt, my name is Tiffany, and I feel like I, I'm longing to grow with Jesus, and, and uh, I'd love for you to help me on that. And so I said, Well, this is awesome. So every Tuesday at 2 p.m., Tiffany and I get on Zoom and we have a Bible study and we've talked about all sorts of things. We've talked about the sanctuary. We've talked about the second coming. We've talked about Sabbath. We've talked about the state of the dead. We keep talking about things. And as we talk, her picture of God continues to grow and develop and gets flushed out. It's amazing. But what's even more amazing is what God is doing in her husband's heart. Can't even tell you. He's a great dude, a great father, a great husband. He's a great man. But knowing God is something that's completely new to him. He's never had that opportunity. On Thursday, I sent him a book uh, just off of Amazon. It's one of my favorite books. And I said, well, I want to give this to this guy because he struggles with the picture of a God that loves him so much. And so I said, this is a book, man. I, I mailed it to him. And he got it on Thursday. And on Amazon, when you send a gift, you can put a little note in there. And so I just, I wrote in there, hey, brother, um, uh, this book has really helped me understand a God of love, and I hope it does the same for you. I'm praying for you. Well, when he gets this book, he opens it up, and his wife says, hey, what's the note say? And so he reads it out loud to her, and as he gets to that last part, he says, um, I'm praying for you. And he said, whatever that means, he's never prayed before. He doesn't know how to pray, but he's on a journey with Jesus. He doesn't even know him yet, but he's on a journey with him. Well, on Monday, this coming Monday, I'm going to meet him over Zoom. 
And while I don't know what his journey looks like, I'll tell you what, God is working there. While he's never prayed and doesn't know how to pray, while he doesn't know the whole story of God or what doctrine is or, or what the whole picture of God looks like, I believe that God is doing something one step at a time in his life as he carries him along on this faith journey so that he will experience something like he's never experienced before. Whether you are the faithful one that brings somebody else to Jesus and begs God to do something, or you're the one that has faith that is wavering, or you're here this morning for the very first time listening to what Jesus can do in your life, my prayer is that you can see Jesus. Not a blurry picture of Jesus, but a crystal clear picture of a God that loves you more than anything. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, today I'm challenged challenged by how much you love us and how much you care about us and how you will carry us along on a journey so that we can know you, who you truly are, so that we can see you crystal clear. And God, I pray for all those on this journey, those that have deep faith, those that are struggling in their faith. May you come alongside them. May you put people in their lives at the right moments so that we can truly experience who you are. God, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.